Amen. Morning. A little more lively than the 9 o'clock. Everybody's up here. 9 o'clock, everybody's back there. I called them recovering Baptists. So, you know, it's good to be here. Very excited to be here. I am excited to be a part of the Connection Church Network. And just let me say, I'm so grateful for your pastor. Y'all have an awesome pastor. He's an awesome leader. I meet with him once a week on Mondays, and he just equips me. He equips me to do what God has called us to do and go into Wilkeson County and plant a gospel-centered church. Um, so I didn't come up in ministry. I come from the chalk mine, as we call it in Wilkeson County, the Kaolin mine. Um, but God had called me out of that into full-time ministry, and so here we are. Um, so this morning, Billy has asked me to talk about manhood, which this topic is very dear, very dear to my heart. Um, the reason why is I was raised single mom. By a single mom, six sisters, I was the only uh, boy, the only male in our family, so I became brother, daddy, all the above, and, and I thank God for other men, other men that love Jesus, that poured into me, uh, that come alongside me, help disciple me, and get me to where I am today. So I've seen both, both the extremes. I've seen bad men, and I've seen some really good ones, so it's really dear to my heart. Uh, on this topic of manhood. So this morning, if you want to pull out your Bibles or your iPads or phones or whatever you have, um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. 1 through 9. And I'll read um, this, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in, okay? All right, here we go. So now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, take note of this, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time right here. It's the question that God asked. He says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for today, God. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. God, I thank you for what you did at the 9. I ask that you just do it again here in the 11. God, that you would use me just in just a normal, ordinary guy, God, that you would speak through me to your people. God, I'm excited about what you're going to do um, in this service, God. I just ask that you move, move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. So to give you a little bit of context of where we're at, so, um, so what's happened is God has just created the whole universe. He has created everything. He, and he started day one. He created the heavens and the earth and light. And after he had cre created that, he said, it was good. Second day, he created water, water on the ground, water in the sky, and then he said it was good. And then on the third day, 
he created dry, dry land and plants. Again, he said that was good as well. And then on the fourth day, that's when he created the sun, the moon, the stars, and again, it was good. And then on the fifth day, he created birds and all the sea creatures, and again, it is good. And then on the sixth day, he created animals. And then after he created the animals, he created the man, the men, or man. And then after that, he took a rib out of the man, and he made a woman. But after he made the man and the woman, he said, it is very good. It is very good. So God gave Adam one do not. Gave him one rule. One do not. He told him not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There were many, many do's. Okay? Many do's. One was be fruitful and multiply. So something I didn't tell you about myself, I have six kids. Five boys, one girl, me and my wife. Uh, my wife couldn't make it today, and uh, she's, she's actually had some mandatory work that she had to do. Um, so that's where she is today, but we took that very seriously. We, we, we were fruitful and we multiplied. Um, so there was a lot of do's, you know, a lot of do's, and there was a lot of do's that we get to enjoy, but there was one do not. So we were created, you and I were created, uh, to live with God forever and have a relationship with him. So everything was perfect. It was great for two chapters in the Bible. <laughs> And then chapter 3 comes along, and we see this serpent come in. He tempts Eve, um, and then she ate from the fruit. She ate from the tree that she wasn't supposed to. She turned, gave it to Adam. Adam ate the fruit as well. And then immediately they realized, hey, we're naked. We're naked and ashamed. And so they started covering their own sin. They tried to cover their sin. So first of all, I want to let you know this. You and I, every single person in this room, we have an enemy. And you say, I'm aware of that. I have in-laws. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. Our, our enemy is not our in-laws. It is not our boss. It's not our coworker. It's not our spouse. Our enemy is not even our ex-spouse. Our enemy is who? Y'all can talk back to me. Satan. That's right. The devil. Lucifer. The, the scriptures call him a, a liar, a thief, a murderer, and that's who he is. And from day one, he has tried to destroy our relationship with God. And the way he's done this, he's attacked the family model. And he's attacked the head of the family, which is the men. And we've seen this since the beginning. So then we get to where we just read in chapter 3, verse 9. Um, God's walking through the garden. And he calls out to the man. Notice that. He calls out to man. Not, he didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He called out to the man. He said, man, where are you? Where are you? And so not only has God asked that question, our world is asking that same question. They're asking the same question. Where are the men? These women, they're asking, where are all the good men at? Children are asking, where are the men at? Where are our fathers? The government, our politics are asking, where are the men? Where are the leaders? And I'm sad to say our churches are asking the same question, where's the men? So God's calling out this morning. He's saying, where are you at, man? Where are you at? Where are you? Some, some stats that I saw uh, a few weeks ago, it said that in 2022, more women are working than men. More women have jobs than men. I also saw that more women have driver's license than men. More women are going to college and getting an education than men. And when I saw that, I was like, well, surely just, that just means there's more women out there than there is men. That's not true. It's about 50-50. 
There's just as many men there as are is women. So we have this crisis of absent men in our world. And again, I, I just want to share this, is we have a crisis of absent men in our church as well. I was talking to Billy about this, and Billy gave me some numbers for Vidalia, and, and I'm from the Dublin area, and the numbers are similar in Dublin. It's right here in Vidalia, Connection Church Vidalia. Uh, we have more women than men. It's about 60-40. 60% women, 40% men. Now, if I was a single man, this would be a good place to be. <laughs> you right? But I'm not. Um, we also see that, Billy was letting me know, that uh, we have more women serving in the church so out of all that are serving here at connection church all the heart and soul members that are serving only 30 36 percent are men and i see some men out there with them orange shirts on that's what a real man is right i told them they shouldn't make a shirt that says i'm part of that 36 percent you know so the question is where are all the men where are all the men jails are full of them bars are full of them Stadiums are full of them. Ballparks are full of them. <laughs> but sadly, the churches are not, and homes are not. And I bet this morning in Vidalia, I don't know if y'all have a golf course here, but I, I guarantee you right now it's packed full of men. I guarantee it. So where are all the men? In Ezekiel 22, uh, verse 30, Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God calls out, he says, and I sought for a man. And this is in the ESV version because it says man. I, and I sought out for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach or stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. I found none. There's plenty of males, but no men. So why is this? Why, what happened? Why is it? Truth is, we have bought into this lie. Men have bought into a lie of what a man really is. The enemy's done a very good job of doing that. So I got to ask myself, when did this really start? You know, when do we see this downfall of men, this absence of men? And as I got to reading, uh, I seen some things that said it, it started in the 1600s. And that's when slavery took part. And that's when people come in and, and tore families apart, took men away from their families. I also heard that, hey, it was in the 1800s, and that's when the Industrial Revolution started happening. That's when men actually went to work. Before then, men would, their work would be gardening or doing things at their home, and their kids would actually get to go to work with them. And then some people say, hey, it was in the 1900s, and that's when World War I started, and all the other wars started. And that's where feminism came about. And I do believe that each one of these had a big part to play in the absence of men. I do. But it all started in Genesis in the garden with Adam. It started in the, in the garden. And what happened was is this woman's in this garden and the snake and the serpent comes up to her and, and tempts her. And we just saw that Adam was standing right next to her. Many people think that Adam wasn't, in, wasn't around, that he was somewhere else. He was standing right next to her. He was watching this happened. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't trying to protect her. He just sat there. He was passive. He was passive. And it breaks my heart because we see that today. In Wilkeson County, Wilkeson County is saturated with these kind of men. Passive. Sitting back doing nothing. 
And it ain't just Wilson County, I know that. It's all over our world. Men not doing what God has called them to do and create them to do. Um, I'm, I'm coaching Little League. Uh, I told him I didn't want to coach. I just want to go help. But our coach actually got arrested and he's locked up. So, yeah. So they said, Stanley, you're, you're now the coach. And so I became the coach. And as I got to talk to these kids and see who their parents was, 80% of the kids that I coach, their father is either locked up or not in the home. They're being raised by their single mama. I'm also a part of FCA in the school system, Wilson County School. 37 kids in FCA in the middle school. And as I get to talking to them, asking who their parents are, they get to sharing. A lot of their stories is, my mama's so-and-so, I don't know my daddy. Never met him. Or my daddy's locked up. So our world is saturated with these passive men. So God is calling out this morning. He's, men, where are you at? Where are you? And not just location, right? I know there's a, some men in here. Where are you at spiritually? Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Because I believe if you're where you're at, where you need to be with Jesus, he'll place you in that location that you need to be. Whether it be in your home or in your work or in your community or here in the church. But it starts with a relationship with Jesus. So men, where are you at? And a lot of times I hear this verse preach to men um, about every man's sermon that I heard is 1 Corinthians 6, 13 to 14. It, it's a very good verse. It says this. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Act like men. And that's preached. Act like men. Act like men. What If you would have told me before Christ to act like a man, I'd have acted what I thought a man was. And I think that's what's happening. We've been lied to. We've been duped. Some of my kids said we've been capped. <laughs> That's, you know, we've been lied, bamboozled. You know, we don't really know what a man is, and we can't ask a man to step up if a man don't really know what a, a man is supposed to do. So before we get into what a man is, when does a boy become a man? When does he become a man? You know, there's no rite of passage in America for boyhood to manhood. None. So if you ask our world, our world Budweiser, Budweiser said, I know they're in some trouble right now, um, but they say 21. 21 years old, you're an adult, and you're a man. Uh, the DMV, they say 16. They say if you're 16 year old, you're, you're an adult. The military says 18. Tylenol says 12. And Disney says 10. So that's when you become a man. And I was asking my kids, my five boys, I was asking them for just sermon prepping out of the mouth of babes. And I asked some of my kids, I said, son, I said, when does a boy become a man? And my youngest one said, he said, when, when you get hair in your armpits and on your chest, that's when you become a man. I said, okay. And then one of the other kids said, I think it's 20. Daddy, I think you become a man when you're 20. I said, okay. I said, why is that? He said, because... He said, because you can't be a child and be a man at the same time. I said, boy, that'll preach. That'll preach. So 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So manhood isn't an age. <laughs> I've met a lot of 50-year-old boys. Boys. You know, Tony Evans says that a boy becomes a man when he becomes mature enough to take responsibility to lead. 
provide for, protect women and children. And not just physically, but spiritually. That's when a boy becomes a man. He also talked about that word um, responsibility. He said masculinity is not, or masculinity is about taking responsibility. And that word responsibility is actually two words, responding to our ability. Our God-given ability and responding to it. So it's the way God created us, how we should respond to it. So man, men, <laughs> it's time that we put off our childish ways and become the man that God has called us to be. So let's talk about the definition of manhood. What is a man? And again, we've allowed the world and we allowed Satan to come in and define what a man is, and it's a lie. Again, he's a liar, he's a destroyer, he's a murderer, and that's what he does. Manhood is not just plumbing, all right? My kids, my little boys have the same plumbing that I have, but that don't mean they're a man. They're a child, they're a boy, they haven't picked up responsibility. So what is the world? How's the world defined us as men? I talked about it a little bit already about the age. But before Christ, before I got to know Christ, what I thought and the world taught me that a man was is somebody who was muscled up, he was bearded, he was good at sports, he had a jacked up truck, he was very successful, had lots of money. Um, and if that's the definition of manhood, then I'm not a man because I have a dad bod, I drove a Prius this morning, and I'm broke, you know, so... If that's the definition of a man, I'm not a man. But our culture says that masculinity is defined by the three S's. Sports, sex, and success. And if you've got those, then you're a man. You're a man. The world also teaches that men are stupid. You don't believe me? Come on TV and watch the TV shows nowadays. Watch the Disney Channel. Watch the Disney shows or Nickelodeon shows. In every cartoon that I've watched and my kids watch, you watch, the dad's the idiot, right? Yeah, the family is saved by either the, the family pet or, or the child of the family. And the dad's just a blooming idiot. And the TV shows are the same way. The guys are idiots. So the definition of a man is somebody who is successful, good at sports, sexual, or is stupid. And that's what the man, the world defines us as a man. Now, I don't... The next definition I got is the American church's definition. And sadly, the American church hasn't done a very good job of defining men either. You know why? Because it's 60-40, 60% women, 40% men in here in the room right now. But I had a guy come to me, and he was doing some discipleship, and we were talking. He said, Stanley, he said, he said I can't do what those men at the church do. And now this dude is what the world would say was a manly man, Right? Very successful in politics, um, bearded, was in the military, muscled up. I mean, he did a lot of manly things. He said, but I, ju I just can't be a part of that. I cannot be a part of that. He said, because all those guys do is sit around, talk about their feelings, and cry. <laughs> but that's what the church has taught him, and that's what he sees in the church. The American church has sissified what it means to be a Christian man. They've become soft, and that's why men don't want to be a part of it. But as I read God's word and I look through the Old Testament and New Testament, I see men who faithfully served and pursued God. These men were pursuing God, but they were also slaying giants. They were building arks. They were defending cities. They were rebuilding cities. These men were warriors. They were kings. They were world changers. But it's not what they did that made them a man. <laughs> it's who they served and who they followed that made them the man. 
Which brings us to the biblical definition of a man. How does God's word define a man? Because it's true. God's word is true. And if we believe it's true, we should look in this mirror to see how we should be. So to do that, we have to go back to the original design of what a man was supposed to be and do. And to do that, we have to go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So let's go back to the beginning. And let's go to chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. Chapter 1 is just kind of an overview of the whole creation, like a bird's eye view of creation. Uh, So chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, it says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so they, they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all over the and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In his image of God, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing we see, we're designed to be image bearers of God. Image bearers of God, and through a relationship with him. So we see that. And what does it mean to have a relationship with somebody? You think of a spouse. How do you have a relationship with somebody? You have to get to know them. You talk to them. You walk with them. You fellowship with them. You know. And we're also called to bear his image. That means to look like him. To look the righteous is holiness. When people see us, they should see Jesus. They should. So I'm not just talking to married men. It, it was hard when Billy told me to talk about manhood. It was really hard just not to hit daddies and husbands because that's, that's who I am right now. I have six kids and a wife, and that's my heart. But I'm talking to all men. So to the teenagers, I'm talking to you. Young men, I'm talking to you. Single men, I'm talking to you. Married men, I'm talking to you. Older men, I'm talking to all of you. We're all designed to have relationship with God. But, but because of what Adam done, it broke that fellowship. It broke it. But we're designed to have a relationship with him. So next one. uh, We're designed to bear God's image through cultivating and working. Young people, listen to this. I'm talking to you mainly. We're designed to work. We are designed to work. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 15. Um, It says this. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and to take care of it. So many people think that, hey, because of the fall, because of Eve's sin and Adam's sin, that we have to work. No. God put Adam in the garden to work it before the fall. He gave him work and a mission to do and to enjoy it. That's what we were created and designed to do. But we currently have a crisis of men that are not working. Again, I didn't come up in ministry. I come up from the chalk mine. I was in management. A lot of my job was dealing with men. Men. Trying to get them hired. Firing a lot of them because they wouldn't come and do their job. But it was hard. And this place pays like $30 an hour. And I was, it was hard to find people that would work. I don't know if you watched that show, Dirty Jobs, but um, Mike Rowe. He's the one that does dirty jobs. He says this. He says, since the pandemic and COVID, 7.2 million American able men at the age of 25 to 54 are not working. 
right now, 7.2 million men that are able to work are not working. They're sitting at home getting a check or while their wife or whoever else is providing for them. He said that men have clocked out. <laughs> they have clocked out. But God's word says a lot about work and laziness and procrastination. One of my pet peeves is laziness. I cannot stand laziness. In Proverbs 24, 33, it says this. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. And in the Second Thessalonians 3.10, just paraphrasing it, it basically says, if you don't work, you don't eat. You don't work, you don't eat. Well, in Dublin, we have a lot of men come to our church wanting food and wanting money that are able to work. You know, so we, we do meet their needs, you know, because that's what Jesus done. But we also try to help them to get a job. So we'll ask them, hey, man, you, you got your driver's license? No, I need help getting driver's license. We'll take them. Get your driver's license. All right, what's your next step? I need, I need my whatever. And then we'll take them to get that. But then, then they don't get a job. Three months later, they're asking for money. And finally, you have to cut them off. Because you know what? Hunger is a good motivator to go to work. Huh? The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. One of the hard things for me to do was to quit my job and go into full-time ministry. It was hard. That was, I mean, six figures, 401K. I enjoyed my job. I enjoyed doing what I do. Um, but when the Lord called me into it, and I was like, but Lord, I want to work. Well, I didn't think pastors did a whole lot <laughs> until I became one. <laughs> so it never shuts off. And you, you lose sleep. And uh, But it's enjoyable, man. I have enjoyed every bit of, of just starting this church plant. But I also want to talk to young men that are going to work or the men that are going to work. It's possible for you to show up every day and have perfect attendance and not work and still be lazy. I saw that too. I mean, I have people with perfect attendance. They were there every day. They, they go and hide, you know, and you'd have to find them. and say good people are hard to find. I, I believe it because yeah, they would be hiding. But a Colossians 3.23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Again, we were designed to work, to bear his image and to work. And then C, we're designed to bear God's image through protecting and providing. That same chapter, same uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, it says that we, he put him in the garden to work and also to care for it. In some manuscripts, it says to keep. And that, that word just means to guard, uh, to care for, to protect and watch over. So Adam was designed to take responsibility for the garden, but instead he was passive. He just stood by. Again, he was standing there when his wife was tempted by the enemy and tempted by the serpent. And instead of removing the snake, which I garden, and I know if I had a rattlesnake in my garden, guess what I would do? I would either take a hoe or shell and chop his head off or get 12-gauge and kill it. Uh, but Adam didn't. He allowed the snake into his home, into his garden, and to just tear his family apart. And that's what a lot of men have done today. They just sat back and watched as the enemy is just destroying families, destroying their own families, because he was passive. You know, it's in our DNA to provide and, and, and protect and defend women and children. It's in our DNA. I got five boys, and I'm telling you, from the time they were able to walk and pick up things, every pool noodle, every stick they grabbed, every... Grilled cheese that they bit into a gun, they were using it to fight off bad guys. It's in our DNA to want to protect and, and, and defend our families. 
So moving on, uh, D, we're designed to bear God's image through marriage, through marriage. Chapter 2, verses 18, or verse 18, it says this. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And I was just talking to my son a while ago, and he was talking about, he said, Daddy, when you, when you talk about that, you need to talk about those boys or men that are not working. If you're not working, you really don't need a helper. <laughs> you don't need a helper. You don't need a helper. Women listen to that. But he says that it is not good for man to be alone. You know, so I'm going to give him a suitable, suitable helper. Proverbs 18.22 says this, He who finds a wife finds a good, a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. You know, just a few weeks ago, I kind of felt this. Uh, I have an awesome wife. I know she's not here today, but she's working. Um, but she supported me. She has prayed for me, um, loves the Lord. But she decided that her and my oldest son would go on a mission trip a few weeks ago for a whole week. And she, they did. They left. And they went on this mission trip and left me and the five smaller kids at home by ourselves. We made it. We survived. You know, I got them to school. I fed them. And we, but I washed a lot of clothes, and I, I wasn't able to fold them. But I just realized how much my wife actually does. When she got home, there was, all the couches were slapped full of clothes. Um, but they were clean. I did wash them. Uh, but we're made, we're made to have a suitable helper because we can't do it alone. So I want to talk to the single ones in here, the men that are single, the young guys that are single, you know, that you, ha you do have a desire to be married. And that's a good thing. It is a good to have a desire to be married. But first thing I want to tell you to do is before you start chasing after women, chase after Jesus. Because once you get that relationship with Jesus, then you'll be able to lead that woman, lead that, that young lady. So chase after holiness instead of happiness. Because how we treat our women in our lives re reveals a lot about us. You know, this is not just our wives, but this is other, other, other women in our church, how we treat our mamas. Um, so it just reveals a lot about us. So next one. We're, we're designed to bear God's image through creating. Uh, chapter 128. Uh, it says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Again, this is one thing I feel like I've done well. I did a lot of things well in my life, but this one, I, I, I got this one. But before, before the mission, like we all have a mission. And if you're part of Connection Church, um, you know what that mission is. What is that mission as a believer nowadays? You can talk back. Maybe you don't know. It's to go make what? Disciples. That's right. So before it was go make disciples, it was go make babies. That's what it was. That's what we were intended to do is go make babies. Um, but it's not just go make babies. We were designed to be creative and to create things. To create. God's a, again, we're, we're, we're made in his image to bear his image. God is a creator. So we, we have creative DNA, and we are designed to create things, create businesses, leaders, we're designed to create other things. So we're all creating something. Every man in here is creating something. We're all producing some kind of fruit, or bad fruit or good fruit. Bad men create bad businesses. Bad men create bad cultures. Bad men create bad men. We just see it. We've seen it since, since the beginning. This quote that I saw from Michael Hoff, he's an 
he's an author. He says this. It says, hard times create, uh, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And then weak men create hard times. So you see this cycle. It's just over and over. And we've seen it since the, the uh, beginning. So to, as a believer, as a young man, and say, hey, you know, I'm not married. It's not time for me to have kids. He's like, but what do I do? Go create other disciples, spiritual babies. That's what we're called to do is go make disciples. And to the older men, I'm talking to you too. I know that your kids are probably gone and, you know, grown and gone, uh, but maybe you have grandkids. You know, you can disciple them. You can lead them. But also here in the church, you know, I, in Dublin, we're, we lack a lot of the older generation, uh, just a lot of the younger generation. But we need you older men. You've been through a lot. You've seen a lot. You have a lot of wisdom, and we need you. He's like, well, I don't know a lot about the Bible. I know Jesus, but I don't like, we still need you. We need you. And I think of the church like a ship. And these younger men are like the sail of the ship. You know, they keep the, the ship moving forward and going. And they're the energy, you know. But a, a ship without a rudder will go nowhere or it'll go in circles. These older men, you older men are like the rudder of the ship. We need you for your direction and your guidance, because if not, we're just going to go around and around in circles. These younger men need you. They need you to come alongside them, disciple them, and teach them. They need you, so you're needed. So also, we're designed to bear God's image by leading. You know, we talked a lot about leadership already. But that word, subdue, in verse 28 in chapter 1 it means to bring under control, take responsibility, and, and take responsibility for it. So God gave Adam the charge of the garden and the parameter, not the woman. He gave it to the man. He gave it to the woman. This is the reason for man's leadership in the world, in the church, and in the home. And what I'm not saying is that women can't lead. Uh, my wife is a phenomenal leader. Uh, she's in leadership at the school. Uh, she's been in leadership positions before, and she's an awesome leader. But it's our job as men to lead. It's our job. We were made to be leaders. So when I, when I talk about leading women, uh, I don't mean like, like a caveman. You know, I've watched cartoons where the caveman is dragging his wife by the hair and he's pulling her along. That's not how I'm talking about leading. If you're doing it that way, if you're being dominating and forceful with your wife and trying to lead her that way, you're doing it wrong. We were designed to have a helper. And what that means is we lock hand in hand. Not hand in hair. We lock hand in hand with our wives, with our women, and, and we walk, and we lead them that way. So we're called as men to lead, to lead at work, to lead at home, to lead in the community, to lead here in the church, and to lead by example. And again, it's just not physically. I know a lot of good businessmen that lead companies very well, but they're terrible about leading their families, or they're terrible about leading uh, in the church or in their community. Again, they're doing a great job at work, but terrible job with their family. And I want to say this as well. Just because you bring your family to church doesn't mean that you're leading them well. The reason I say that, it's your job as men to disciple your wife and children. It's your job. So Billy, Blake, everybody that stands on, their, on this stage, the staff here at, at Connection Church Vidalia, their job is to equip the saints for the works of the ministry. So they get to teach you for an hour. They get to teach your families for an hour. You have your family all through the week. 
So it's your job, and we want to help you do that. Connection Church Five Day is serious about sending. Not only church planners and missionaries, they want to send fathers and leaders back into this community, into their homes. That's what they want to do, and they'll partner with you. All you got to do is say, hey, I need some help doing this. So we're designed to lead. Blake said this in sermon prep, Blake Harmon. He said this. He said, he's talking to the single, single men. He said, if you're not le- leading in your singleness, what makes you think you, you're going to lead a family? So men, young men, you're leaders. You're leaders. A lot of people don't know this, but the disciples that led were teenagers. <laughs> they weren't grown white men. They were teenagers, and God used them. A lot of kids don't even know that. They think they got to wait till they get older to go out in the community and lead. No, you start leading now. Right in your school, on the ball field, or wherever you're at. You can lead now. Because that's what you're designed to do. That's what you're designed. So let's recap. Let's recap. Our design, the biblical view of a man, and our design uh, from God is one, to bear God's image. How do we do that? We've got to have a relationship with him. We gotta have that relationship. Two, you gotta have a job. You gotta go to work. We're created to work. Uh, we're also created to provide and protect. We're we're created to multiply. We're cr- created to create, and we're created to lead. So let me talk to the ladies. I know I've been talking to the men for a long time now. Let me talk to you, single ladies. I want you to get that order. Following Jesus. A job, uh, providing, protecting, leading, all those things. If he's not doing it in that order, run. You set the bar for the man. You set it. God had set it, but you set it when you're going into a relationship. If he's not following Jesus, run. You're not going to fix him. (laughs) You're not going to fix him. I promise you. So what about the, the, the married women in here? Say, so Stanley, I'm already married, and, and my husband, are not, he's not doing this thing, these things that you're talking about. You know, he's working hard. He's providing, but he don't lead spiritually. You know, he don't lead our family. He don't bring us to church. You know, I bring our kids to church. What do I do? I'm going to tell you what you do. Because I was once one of these men. I didn't lead my family well. I didn't lead them spiritually. I went to work. I worked hard. I got all the way to the top. In management. I started at the bottom, worked my way up to the top. That job become consuming. I'd work all the time, bring work home with me. I was angry. I was bitter all the time. And I thought, hey, I'm providing for my family. I'm working. I'm putting food on the table. I'm leading them well. But I sat back like Adam, and I watched my wife. I watched my wife disciple my kids. I watched my wife take my kids to church. And, and lead our home spiritually. But my wife, she never nagged me. She never put me down. She never once said, hey, this is what you ought to do. You know what my wife done? She prayed for me. Not only did she pray for me, she journaled her prayers. And this went on for a long time. She would journal her prayers. She wrote down all her prayers. And then God started working in me. And I don't know if you've heard of him, Mark Driscoll. Very tough pastor, um, very loud, um, but he, he's what I needed at the time. I was listening to a bunch of his man sermon about stepping up, being the man that God's called us to do, and it convicted me. And then God sent another man into my life to help disciple me, walk with me. And God started working in me, and he started changing his heart of stone 
into this heart of flesh, and I started feeling it, and I started serving my family well. Did I fail? Yeah, and I still do. You know, I talked a lot about leadership, leading your family, but one of the best ways you can lead your family is be the lead repenter in your family. When you mess up, you go to them and says, hey, I shouldn't have raised my voice. Hey, I shouldn't have done this. Forgive me. You know, so we should lead that way. But going back to my wife and her journaling her prayers, um, God was working on me, started doing a good thing, good work in me. And I started teaching in a Sunday school class. And, and uh, it was the first Sunday school class that I taught. I needed a notebook. And I went into her closet and I found this notebook and I pulled it out and it had all these written pages in it. Well, I, I ripped out the written pages and threw them on the couch and we were in a hurry. Um, and we got to church. We got to church. I taught Sunday school, come home. When I come home, I picked up the, the papers. And as soon as I picked them up, she saw what they were and she snatched them from me. She said, Stanley, you don't, you don't want to read those. And I said, oh, well, I really want to read them now. You know? <laughs> but I read them and her, it was her prayers for me. And it, her prayers were not, thank you, Lord, for my wonderful husband and how he provides for our family. No, they were pretty bad. And I looked for them. If I was going to read them. I couldn't find them, but in the, what I remember in them were things like, Lord, I know you love him. I know you've created him to be more than what he's being. I know you have. I'm asking that you work in him, God. He's so angry, and he's so bitter, and he treats me and the kids like crap. He says, and it said in there, it said, all he wants from me is sex. I feel like a piece of meat. Yeah. So when I, I read all these prayers, and it was page after page. It wasn't just one page. It was multiple prayers. I just broke down and wept. And it broke my heart. It breaks my heart now thinking about it. I got emotional at 9 o'clock. I was hoping I wouldn't get emotional now. But every time I think about who I was as a man, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was because I was putting food on the table. But as I wasn't leading them like God designed for me to lead them. So women, married women, the best thing you can do for your husband is pray. People talk about prayer and as, you know, the least I can do is pray. No, that's the most important thing you can do. You know, we're asking people to pray for us as we go and plant this church. That's the most important thing you can do. You can keep your money. Just give me your prayers. I'd rather have those. I do. So pray. So I got looking through Scripture, and there's many examples. Man, there's many examples of great men in the Bible that pursued God and again our relationship with God is not about perfection it's about a pursuit it's about a pursuit but these men pursued God and they served him faithfully you know did they stumble yeah they stumbled they stumbled a lot but they got back up they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus and they kept moving but I was looking at all these examples and I was thinking I was like you know what I was thinking about school so I cheated in class a lot <laughs> um, and I could either cheat off so-and-so's paper, but the teacher had the answer key over here. I'd rather have the answer key to do my cheating with. So Jesus is the answer key. He's the great example. So we have the best example out there, the perfect example um, of what a perfect man is supposed to be. So just going through the way that God designed us, the way that he, de he designed Adam, you know, Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. So Jesus remained in relationship with God. He remained in relationship with God. He was sinless. He lived a perfect life. Something that Adam couldn't do, something you couldn't do. And also, Jesus went to work. So when he come down from heaven, he come down here as a baby and a child, he began to work. He was a carpenter, but not only that, he became, 
he began to do what God had called him to do. He was a man on mission. He had a mission. And we just celebrated that mission last week. And I don't think we should just celebrate that mission on Easter. Man, I need the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for me. I need it every day. Sometimes I need it every hour. I need to remind myself of the gospel all the time. Why? Because I forget it. We forget it. We need it. But he come on this mission. And he died on the cross. He did what God had called him to do. And thank God he didn't stay dead, right? He rose from the dead three days later. Give us life. And give us life abundantly. So we could have a relationship with God. Again, he did what Adam couldn't do. Not only that, Jesus cared for and protected what God entrusted him. So you watch the life of Jesus, and he gets these young men, these young disciples, and he's bringing them along with him. He's praying for them. He's teaching them. He's guarding over them. Again, he's the perfect man. Not only this, Jesus loved his bride. It's like, Stanley, he wasn't married. No, we're the bride. Scripture calls the church his bride. So if you belong, if you're in Christ, you're the bride. You are the church. But he loved the bride. He loved the church. He loved it so much that he laid his life down for it. It's a sacrificial love. Not only that, he created and multiplied disciples. He had no earthly kids, but he made disciples. He started with 12. 12 guys. He had his 12, but really had his three that he invested in. And they're the reason that you and I are standing here today, hearing the gospel. They multiplied disciples so let's go back to my boy's response of what it means to be a man what does it what does it mean when a boy becomes a man how do you do that well we had the you know the hair in the armpit and the chest and then we had the age of 20 but my oldest son who I consider a man he's 16 years old but I consider him a man he said, Daddy, you be- a boy becomes a man when he knows the man. Man, that's it. That's when we become a man. And that's the best response. Adam became a man when God breathed life into him. That's when Adam became a man. So I'm going to ask you, is the Holy Spirit living in you? Is God in you? Do you know the man? One of the things that changed my life, I grew up in church I hear that testimony all the time. It's like, hey, I grew up in church. I was baptized when I was a kid. But then come to find out they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They knew him here. I knew him here. But my uncle said, Stanley, he said, there's a difference between knowing God here and knowing him here. He said, it's about 12 inches. He said, people are going to miss heaven by 12 inches. A lot of men will miss heaven by 12 inches. Do you know him? Not just here. But do you have a relationship? Do you know him here? Do you know him? So the call is, man, where are you at? Where are you at? Real manhood starts with a relationship with Jesus. And again, connection church mission statement is this. We, we exist to connect all people to a growing relationship with Jesus. We, connect to grow, uh, we exist to connect men into a growing relationship with Jesus. And we want to help you do that. So this morning, I want to end with this. Men, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at physically? Where are you at spiritually? And what is your next step? 
In order to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, we all should be in a next step. So what is your next step? Maybe it's the first step. Say, Stanley, I realized this morning that, you know, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Well, I got good news. Today can be the day of salvation for you. It's just surrender. It's surrender. The Word says if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, a lot of people miss that, the Lordship of Christ. That's surrendering. Lord, you can have it all. You can have my family. You can have my finances. It's all yours. Have you done that? That's the first step. So maybe you are a believer. Maybe this morning that, you know, Stanley, I am a believer, but I realize that I really haven't stepped into God's design for me as a man. Man, you can do that today. You can start today. His mercies are new every morning, every day. Do not leave the same way that you came. You can do it. You can start today. You can start leading today. Stanley, I need help. Maybe some of you are saying that. I don't, I don't know what to do. Man, we have connect groups. Groups of men and women that get together every week, that meet in living rooms, that open up their homes and, and fellowship over a meal and dig into God's word and hold each other accountable, encourage one another, that iron sharpening iron. And if you're not in a connect group, that's your next step. Get in one. Get around a bunch of other guys, other men who are serving the Lord, who are leading, who do have a relationship with Jesus. And if, if that don't work, get you a one-on-one disciple. Find somebody to disciple you, a man to disciple you. Man, I come every week to Vidalia, and I, I sit at a table with a, a, a group of men, like six or seven men that are on staff with Vidalia. That, that's their heart, is to disciple men. And they know other men that would love to, to do that. So what's your next step? If you're real brave, why don't you do this? Why don't you turn to your wife and ask, Hey, baby, how can, I, how can I start leading you spiritually? What can I do better to lead you spiritually? Ask her. That's a lot of humility in that. I promise you she'll tell you because she knows. She knows. So, women, your next step. Your next step is to pray. Pray for your husbands. Pray for them. Even if they are leading well, pray for them. Because it's tough. I know it. I'm a pastor, but I, I still struggle. Again, I have to go to my kids and wife often. Please forgive me. Pray for them. Don't, not only pray for them, pray for the rest of the men in this, in this church. Pray for your staff. Pray for them. Man, because prayer is powerful and effective. It is. If it wasn't for my wife's prayer, I wouldn't be standing here today. All right? So as God walks through the garden, he asks, Man, where are you? The thing is, he knew where Adam was. He knew where he was. He was looking for a response. So this morning, God's looking for a response from you men. How will you respond? I'm going to tell you, we're fixing to open up down here at the bottom. If you want to come pray, come pray. And I will say, if you see a man down here praying by himself, don't leave him by himself. Come pray with him. You see a lady down here praying for her husband, don't leave her by herself. Come pray with them. Husbands, I'm asking you to grab your wife's hand and to come pray with her. Man, that's the most intimate thing you can do as a husband is to pray for your wife and pray with her. 
not just thanking God for the food, but pray over her. Man, it's changed my life. It'll change yours. So we're fixing to close. Everybody close your eyes, bow your head. So some of you may be thinking right now, it's like, man, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. How can I have a relationship with Jesus? It's like I said earlier, first you just admit that you're a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. You just pray that. God, I'm a sinner. And I need saving. And then believe. I believe, God, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and you raised him from the dead. And see, you confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You surrender your life to him. And if you did that, the Bible says that you're saved. It ain't the prayer that saves you. It's, your, it's the posture of your heart. So if you just prayed that prayer, would you just lift your hand? That way I can pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you up here. But I just want to pray for you. I see that hand. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Amen. So for the rest of us, I'm just going to pray. And like I said, the altar is open. Y'all come pray as the Lord lays it on your heart. So Heavenly Father, just thank you for the new brother in Christ that we have, the new man. He just became a man. Thank you, Lord. God, and I pray over him right now, God. I know these next steps for him is going to be tough. The enemy's going to come at him, but I, Lord, I just pray a hedge of protection around him. God, would you continue to mold and make him into the man that you called him to be? God, and I pray that for the rest of this, these men in this, this room right now, God, that you would, that your word would pierce their hearts, God, that, that the conviction would be there, the encouragement would be there, God, and they would leave this place a better man, a man seeking and pursuing after you. So, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.